2: Welcome to the show, and it is a May 1st show. Wow, time flies, but here we are in May. And by the way, just in case you're interested, May is the month that we will celebrate our 25th birthday as a church, uh, the last Sunday in May, May 31st. Um, when Paul and I first got here, it was, seems like yesterday. But it was 25 years ago we had our very first meeting as a church for Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Well, that's who we are. I'm Pastor Ron from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And this is The Word to Stand Up for Life, a radio show dedicated to taking your phone calls, answering Bible questions or life questions, anything that's on your heart. All you have to do is call us. You can dial 210-340-9585. That's 340-9585 if you're outside in the local San Antonio area. You can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app and send your questions in. If you are driving in your car on this Friday afternoon, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the Call Now banner at the top of the screen. You will be connected directly to our our studio producer. Now, I think as most of you know, at least you who are regular listeners, um, tonight we're meeting again in person for church. Tonight at 7 o'clock, we always have a Friday night service, uh, but like everything else, it's been on quarantine or in quarantine for about the last six weeks. Uh, tonight, the governor has permitted us to meet once again. It won't be our normal crowd, and things will be a little different. There won't be as much hugging and handshaking and stuff going on as usually goes on around here. But i got to tell you, we are absolutely thrilled uh, to be able to uh, come back and be with our church family. Uh, tonight is one of the uh, foundational Bible studies um, in our new testament it 's second peter chapter one i 'm going to do three verses, verses five, six, and seven, and it 's about adding to our faith, not adding to our faith that saves us. But once we're saved, this describes the process of sanctification and it is a, an extremely important and practical Bible study. So that's what's going on here, um, tonight at seven o'clock. Also, because the governor has allowed it, we will be meeting for prayer tomorrow morning at nine thirty here, as we have been doing now for years and years and years until the quarantine. Uh, well, we are starting again, uh, with our Saturday morning prayer from 9.30 to 10.30. Uh, and then, of course, Sunday, Communion Sunday for May. Uh, I hope those of you who are going back to your churches, you go back uh, with a sense of joy, a sense of, of boy, we really missed out and and grateful beyond measure to the Lord for allowing you uh, to be back with your church families. We're going to be thrilled here at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio, and I trust that you will be too. Well, let's close the week with your phone calls, 340 until you call. Here's some questions. Larry wants to know, do you believe in soul sleep? Larry, there's no such thing as soul sleep. So the answer is no, we don't believe in soul sleep because there's nothing like it in the Bible. You know, uh, Jesus um, Um, made it clear, you know, the Bible uses sleep as a euphemism uh, for uh, death uh, in several places. And so the um, idea has been offered that we die, uh, we don't really die, but we just go to sleep, and then when Jesus comes back, we all wake up. But that's certainly not at all what the Bible teaches. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, Larry. So the minute we leave this body... And these bodies wear out. Outwardly, Paul says, we are wasting away, but inwardly we're being renewed in the image of God day by day. Um, but when, when the real us leaves these old, tiring bodies, uh, we instantly are in the presence of the Lord with our new, glorified, physical, resurrected bodies, a body that has been created uh, to spend forever with Jesus. So, soul sleep is... Um, Usually something that is believed by some cults, but uh, it's simply not biblical at all, Larry. Thank you for the question. Here is an anonymous question that wants to know, Is it okay to listen to secular music with profanity in it? Um, Anonymous, that's between you and the Lord. Now, I don't think it's helpful, certainly. Um, I don't know why we would want to listen to lyrics that don't glorify the Lord. Um, And yet the truth is there's a lot of music, a lot of TV, a lot of movies now uh, where if beepers were going off. They'd be beeping all the time because they're swearing it's just a part of the world that we live in. It just shouldn't be a part of the Christian's world. So uh, if you like secular music, you're not stumbled by the profanity. uh, And certainly if the profanity isn't taking God's name in vain, then you've got a a decision to make personally. Having said that, uh, one of the things that we need to do as Christians is be unlike the world that we live in and more like the one that we are claiming to follow. So I just, I don't know how it fits. You know, I can say yeah, it's okay, I guess if you're okay with it, but I don't know why anybody would want to do that. You know, our gym has been closed for um, well since the quarantine started so six weeks and one of the, the the problems at the gym was the music that they played all the time and you know they like sort of a festive atmosphere so they turn it up really really loud which is really annoying and yet a lot of the music has this constant cursing in it I'm not talking about minor words I'm talking about big words and it's just frustrating and you talk to them about, please turn it down or please change it. We don't need those that kind of music. And they look at you like you're absolutely crazy. But you know what I find anonymous is that, in, in poor Paula, because she's the only one I can complain to, um, but it makes me angry. I'm just sitting here, there's so much more edifying stuff. I'm not a music person in the first place, but there's so much more edifying music that's available. And I understand that unbelievers don't want to hear about Jesus, but there's still good music where they don't curse. Paul said, all things are permissible, but not all things are beneficial. And I think that's the the line in the sand, Anonymous, that we've got to decide which side of that line we're going to be on. Are we going to do that which glorifies God and is beneficial to our relationship with Jesus, to our walk? Or are we going to do that which is not edifying? And in some cases, it's downright ugly. You know, at the gym, there's a, a sign of rules, and they've got ten rules. And number nine on their board is no cursing at any time. Now, nobody listens to that or, or pays any attention to it. But one day when the music was really, really gross I I got one of the guys over and said "Look, read number 9, what does it say? No cursing at any time. And I said do you guys mean that? I mean you put the list of rules up there, it's like your Ten Commandments. And he said yeah we do. And I said well what about this music with all the cursing in it? And again he just looked at me like I'm some crazy old guy. And they just don't get it. So You decide what's best for your walk with the Lord. And if it edifies your walk with the Lord, if it strengthens you, um, go for it. If it doesn't, then I would avoid it. Here is a question from Jeremy. Are 12-step groups compatible with Christianity? Jeremy, whenever I get asked this question I always make people angry. So please, please, please everybody in the audience hear my heart here. Not only are 12-step groups incompatible with Christianity, they're antithetical to it. Now the Bible says that once we're saved, we're a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. We're no longer the old person. We're no longer bound by sin. Instead we're bound by righteousness. That doesn't mean that we're always righteous, but what it means is that we don't have to sin. Now, 12-step groups are just the opposite of that. If you're an alcoholic, you're always going to be an alcoholic. If you're a drug addict, you're always going to be a drug addict. I went to Gambler's Anonymous um, before I got saved, just just had very selfish reasons for doing it, but um, one bed away from falling away again. Once a sinner, always a sinner. That's not what our Bible teaches. Jeremy, it's also true that 12-step groups, while some of them are Christian in form, the only insistence is that there is a higher power. And higher power can be anything you want it to be. pencil can be my higher power I can meditate and that can be my higher power it can be Jesus they don't have any problems with that but think about that for a moment if there's only one real higher power his name is Jesus Christ why would anybody who professes to be a Christian go to a 12 step group or they're teaching that that's not necessarily the truth. Now, the reason I said people always get angry with me, Jeremy, is because um, we like feeling like a victim. We like feeling like, well, our sin's really not sin. It's just, it's just I'm an addict or I'm a drunk. We like the built-in excuses for falling back into our sin. Well, I couldn't help it. I just was overcome. I'll start over and get a new chip. People will come to me and say, but Pastor Ron, I got saved in a 12-step group. Well, that's great. If you really got saved, open your Bible and then walk away from the 12-step group. Any program is better than no program. But you see, Christians have a one-step program. His name is Jesus Christ. Another thing, Jeremy, that really, really causes me anguish is the way that many Christian churches have taken the 12-step group and sort of shined it up and polished it and, and gave it a new name. And they call it Christian Celebrate Recovery and some others. We either have to decide as Christians do we believe our Bible or don't we believe it. Is Jesus the way, the truth, and the life? Is Jesus the only answer? Or is he not? The fact that people get saved at them, sometimes that's the grace of God. But Jeremy, no Christian should remain in a 12-step group. It's just that simple. And I know a lot of Christians whose theology is formed more by the 12-step group than it is by the Word of God. One more quick story, Jeremy. Nobody's on the phone waiting. so And we'd love your calls, by the way. Um, I did a men's retreat in Idaho. Uh, I've done a couple of them up there, in fact. For a while, Paul and I were really popular in Idaho, and I could never figure out why. But uh, I did a men's retreat, and I had this very question... Um, I always do Q and A's when I when I go to the to these things, and um, I was asked this question by a guy who was a leader in his twelve step group. And I asked the question, and and I said, "Okay, how many of you have been or are currently involved in twelve step group?" And probably eighty percent of the heads of the guys went up. I guess people. This was. Uh, drinking for drinking Um, people live in really cold mountainous areas they drink and so they were all involved and when I said and asked them to really think about it use their brains I said this is a program that's antithetical to biblical Christianity they were angry but we spent almost an hour talking about it and by the end of the hour, just showing in the Word of God, the Spirit of God was moving. And it really was a, a big deal. It really was a big deal. So Jeremy, if you're in a 12-step group, get out. Follow Jesus. Let's go to Boverde, Texas and talk with Greg on line one. Greg, thanks for calling. You're on the air.
3: Hey, uh, Pastor, I got a question. Uh, and if you could leave me on the line in case I have a, a follow up question to clarify what, what you may say about this. Um, back in, uh, well, I can't remember exactly where it happened, but I know with the Old Testament, back when Micaiah's Epiphanies, uh, this, uh, what do you call it, the, when they uh, desecrated the temple and. Mm -hmm. and abomination, desolation, all that, and then it speaks about it again in Revelation. Is that two separate events, or is that all the same events that they are describing? Can you shed some light on that?
2: I can. And Greg, they're they're two separate events, but let me explain. Uh, uh, Antiochus Epiphanes was a a type of or a picture of the greater evil one to come in the Great Tribulation, uh, the, the man that we call the Antichrist. So Antiochus, this is approximately 189 B.C. Um, uh, he had a pig slaughtered in the Holy of Holies. He desecrated the temple. Um, what the Antichrist is going to do in the in the temple that is is built during the Great Tribulation is he's going to set up an image of himself and demand to be worshipped in the Holy of Holies. And, of course, Jews won't do that then. But they're two completely separate events. But one is a prophetic foreshadowing or a prophetic picture of the greater evil. To come, uh, the Antichrist.
3: Okay, all right. That's, that's why I make sure that's uh, two separate events. And because mm-hmm. I've heard some teaching on it where they they say, "Oh, that that already happened. It's not going to happen again." So the, the temple was destroyed, I guess, a total of two or three times, and it's going to, and it was desecrated twice. Then it's going to be desecrated twice.
2: Yeah, and it, and it wasn't. It wasn't destroyed completely two or three times it was it was destroyed in 70 AD uh, you know the temple from, from the beginning of, of, of Solomon's temple being built uh, when Israel was judged it would it would be attacked and and damaged sometimes significantly but it wasn't until 70 AD that the Roman general Titus came in and completely and utterly destroyed it to the point that you can't ever tell there was a, a temple standing there the only thing left is the western wall or the wailing wall that we can see sometimes on like CNN news feeds and stuff but uh it it uh, uh it it's going to be um it was destroyed then. It's not been brought up. But in the Great Tribulation, a new temple will be built by the Antichrist. It will sit next to the um, the, the, the Muslim mosque that is there right now. Uh, the outer courts in Revelation, I think it's chapter 10, it says uh, don't don't measure the outer courts. They've been given over to the Gentiles. Well, that's why the, the two will be sitting side by side. That's how the Antichrist is going to come to power by creating peace. But at the three-and-a-half-year mark of the great tribulation that's when he's going to desecrate this new temple
3: okay got it okay pastor i appreciate it and then i would appreciate your prayers for my uh, marriage uh, i talked to you uh there's your office a while back about a year or two ago and we're still in a tough place so i appreciate it
2: okay greg you got it thank you for the opportunity to pray for you Three four zero ninety five eighty five for your live calls and questions. Here is a question that was sent in by another anonymous. Um, it's a little awkwardly worded, so bear with me. It says, Is lust looking at a beautiful woman and thinking how pretty she is, or is it wanting to have sex with her? Uh, anonymous, I think you know exactly what lust is. I think we know instinctively when we 've crossed that line from admiration to lusting, and so there 's nothing at all wrong with looking at at a, a, a handsome man or a beautiful woman and saying oh she 's really beautiful or he 's really handsome," uh, and another thing altogether to start having sexual fantasies about that person or or, or being consumed with thoughts of sexual activity. Um, so uh, admiring somebody, acknowledging that somebody is attractive, there's nothing wrong with that, and it's silly when people say, "Oh no, if you're married, you can't even look at another woman and, and admire her beauty." That's just nonsense. Um, I've got a whole bunch of daughters here at the church, and I mean, they're not my blood daughters, but they're 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 closer than, and and I want them to know they're beautiful. I want them to know. Uh, how much they're loved and uh, especially by god um, and it would be silly not to say you know you you look beautiful today not not in a inviting way, just just the nice way to do it uh, on the other hand, it would be a completely different thing altogether if in fact um I would look at them and have sexual thoughts about them, so again, I don't think the line between looking or admiring and lusting after when it's one that's hard to discern. Uh, we've all of us, uh, Anonymous, got the Holy Spirit living in us. And all we have to do is trust that um, he is going to tell us when we've crossed that line. Good question. Here is a question sent in to our mobile app. Oh, we got a phone. I'll do the question after we got uh, Jimmy holding on line one. Jimmy, thanks for calling. You're on the air. You doing sir? Doing really good today.
4: Okay. Uh, I shared that uh, uh scripture you preached on Sundays, First Timothy chapter two, verses twelve to sixteen. Mhm. And Oh man, I got I got it <laughs> 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 And and it was like, um and then even my wife told me said, I that in the gospel of Luke and I was looking was the gospel of Luke and I said it doesn't say nothing about a woman pastor. It talks about a lady who, who was a, um, I can't remember everything. She's a widow or something? I don't know. Like that. <laughs> but, but I was like, I said, because see, the thing is, there's a church here on Bendero Road, when they have three women pastors. I don't necessarily agree with them. Uh, they they have that 12 program that you talked about, and I just, you know, I'm just, being patient, praying. I'm there with my wife right now. I love her, but I'm praying to God that i going to be the and, yeah. so, and if I have to move by myself and I'm going to trust in the Lord to move by myself and then keep in faith and prayer that I not my wife follows.
2: follow yeah. You know, Jimmy, in, in situations yeah. like this, you know, especially for women who profess to be Christians, Um, I'll I'll ask them or I'll tell their husbands to ask them, look, uh, Ephesians 5 says, wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. Uh, And and then I would say, ask him." am I asking you by by coming to a a healthy, well-balanced church, am I asking you to do anything ungodly? And the answer is, well, no, you're not. Well, then then I'm going to ask you to do that. We're one flesh. We can't be splintered, and the, the problem, of course, is that uh, if you're taking your wife to a church with three women pastors and a church that has a twelve-step group, you know the, the truth is all they've done is throw away the Bible. They've thrown away parts of it, and and churches with women pastors are churches that don't have pastors. It's just that simple, and there's nothing in the Bible. There is no place anywhere in the Bible that even hints at a woman pastor. Not only that. But uh, the passage that I taught, 1 Timothy chapter 2, uh, verse 12, leaves no, I mean, the context there is order in the church. All the way through chapter 3, the context is, this is how the church is to be set up and run. And um, I know we don't like it. I spent a lot of time the other night telling people that, or last Sunday, rather, telling people that, you don't like what I'm going to say. I know that. I know that we're westernized. I know that, that we care more about being accepted in a culture and our western sensibilities. But the truth of the matter is that um, you are rebelling against God if you are in a church with a woman pastor. It doesn't mean you're not saved, but it means you're getting ripped off. And Jimmy, this is one of those times when you have to sit down with your wife with an open Bible and you got to decide that we're going to do what the Bible says. And you know, as men, we're always going to give account. We need to never forget. We're going to give account to Jesus on the day that we stand before him. We're going to give account to him for our stewardship of our families. And if we're taking them to churches that just trash the Bible. They don't care about it at all. Churches that want to tell good stories, and make everybody feel good about being there. Well, none of that is going to be acceptable when Jesus asks us on that day. So, Jimmy, you know, I pray for you. I will be praying for you. But it's just one of those things where the more bad Bible teaching that we take in, the more difficult it's going to be to find ourselves like Jesus. By the way, Jimmy, the Bible study that I'm doing tonight is a really, really good one. Uh, Maybe you and your wife can listen to it together. Thanks, Jimmy. Hey, we've got 30 minutes left in our week. It's May. I know I already said that, but it's May. 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR. It's a word to send them for life. We'll be back in two minutes. If you have questions about the Bible, you can send them to Pastor Ron and he'll answer them on the air or reply directly to you. Email your questions to Pastor K S L R at gmail.com. That's Pastor Ron, KSLR, at gmail.com.
0: Welcome back to the Word to Stand On for Life. We're taking your calls at 340 9585 or toll free 877 630 KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh.
2: Welcome back to our final 30 minutes, 3409585. Here is a question from William. Um, I just finished Second Thessalonians in my devotions. That means William that you've got to be ready for Jesus to return. Any minute. Uh, before I go to my next book, which is Leviticus, by the way, Uh, In this time that we live in, what book would you recommend I could read to help me through these diseases and laws that we have to traverse? Love your ministry. God bless you and Paula. William, thank you, William. I appreciate the the blessing more than you know. Um, Since you're going to read Leviticus next, read Leviticus and Hebrews together. Hebrews will give you a wonderful sort of evolved perspective of Leviticus, what Jesus really meant. All along, um, I, I, I assume, William, that you're talking about uh, the the virus that that we're all frightened of, and the the laws restricting the our movement, our free movement, and uh, telling what we have to wear and those kind of things. You know, um, I always like the the Book of Acts. Read read chapter sixteen. Um, But read it along with the book of Philippians. Now take some time with it. Go really, really slow and chew on it. Um, Paul was in prison. Paul was being beaten. Most days it appeared as though he was going to die that he wouldn't survive the the, the day. And um, I think especially when we're a little bit anxious, um we need to 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 learn to be grateful. we need to have uh, joy um not i'm not being naive, not happy i'm happy that i'm being you know paul wasn't happy that he was in stocks and being beaten, but because he was there, he and Silas, what they decided they could do was well let 's praise God and it was the praising of the Lord that sort of led them through and delivered them from The trial and the process, and people got saved. So when he writes the Philippians from jail, it's just one of those books that that really ought to sort of steal you for whatever it is that we're going through. William, keep reading. Spend time with Jesus. Um, You know, most of us have time that we haven't had in the past and time that we're never going to have again. And we really need to capitalize on on this time. Be in the Word. Be in prayer. Take walks with Him. Get in the practice of talking to Him all day long. Um, The Bible says in His presence there's fullness of joy. I love that because even now in this circumstance, even though we're afraid, even though things have been disrupted completely, we can have joy. Happiness comes and goes, but joy is permanent. And joy is our well of strength in difficult times like this. So in his presence is fullness of joy. Remember what Nehemiah added. Nehemiah said, the joy of the Lord is my strength. So William, thank you. Appreciate the blessing more than you know. Let's go to Cindy calling on line one. Cindy, thank you for calling. You're on the air.
1: It's Happy Friday again, Pastor Ron.
2: (laughs) Mm -hmm. It is. I'm going to be here tonight.
1: I know. You know what I was thinking about um, when Noah, when when God told Noah to have, you know, the different animals coming in the ark, and there was, you know, one of the, you know, a man or a girl and a boy, you know, cat type of thing. And I'm curious about: Did he mean all the different breeds of cats? Because that's a lot of cats to be running around there. And <laughs> and and that's and then that kind of led me to think about: Well, maybe the breeds of cats, you know, came along later. Because I was wondering about the different races of people: if maybe Noah's uh, sons were kind of one race, and their wives were another race, and and if that's where all the different uh, races of people came from. So. That's kind of like what was going around in my in my coffee morning today. I'll let, I'll let you do this. And I've got other questions, but I'll wait for next week for them.
2: Okay, I, Cindy. Thank, bye-bye. Thanks a lot. You know, um, um, I would have been fine if Noah would have forbid cats to come on the ark. No, I know when I say that, cat lovers are going, how could you not love cats? Well, Paul is deathly allergic to them. And cats are just sort of Creepy and sneaky. I'm a dog guy. You can tell that. But um, the, the the species certainly evolved from the beginning. Um, you remember when the ark came to rest and it was dry land and finally all of the animals were let loose? Well, they would all go their separate ways, as you pointed out, Cindy, just like man eventually did from the Tower of Babel incident that we haven't studied yet on Wednesday nights. Um... They scattered all over and they sort of, um, not sort of, they dramatically reduced the gene pool so that instead of of having everybody together, they had smaller and smaller groups And over the period of of thousands of years as the earth developed, um, um, races of people, regions of people. Um, they started to look more and more like one another, and I'm sure that was the case with with animals as well. We also know, Cindy, that a lot of the animals that were on the ark and came off the ark have, have had, at some point become extinct, but they were replaced by other species. You know, um, we see a house cat and a lion, and you know there's some sense of relation there, but um, you, you know they're 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 not the same species any longer. So uh, it it just would have been one of those things where uh, over a period of thousands of years, um, the gene pool among animals would have been um, made much, much smaller as well. And so you get cats and dogs and and other animals that that change. Um, Interbreeding between dogs or interbreeding between cats, uh, same thing is true with horses, all species. Um, So they just would have looked different over a period of time and gotten smaller some would have gotten bigger but uh, they're all still cats or they're all still dogs or they're all still horses or whatever thanks Cindy I appreciate that one of these days I don't drink coffee Cindy but in the morning we should have coffee with you just to hear what you're thinking about <laughs> 340-9585 for your live calls and questions here's a question from Thomas Pastor Ron, will Adam and Eve be in heaven or hell um, Thomas both of them will be in heaven Um, God made them promises, Uh, their sins were forgiven, Um, there's no forgiveness of sins without the shedding of blood, remember they covered their original sin uh, with a sacrifice, Um, uh, they made sacrifice offerings to the Lord as was indicated clearly in the story of Cain and Abel's offerings to the Lord. Uh, so Adam and Eve will be in heaven. I've never heard anybody, Thomas, that would suggest that Adam or Eve would be in hell. So I don't know where you got that idea. But, you know, we're going to get to see them for sure uh, when we get there. And boy, I'll bet we have lots and lots of questions for them. Let's go to San Antonio and talk with Brian on line one. Brian, thanks for calling. You're on the air.
4: Oh, yes, sir. Yeah, I was calling. I had called uh, a little while ago. I was trying to get some commentaries on Isaiah, and um, mm-hmm. I think you gave me a couple of names. I looked up one, of them, but I, I couldn't, I couldn't, I thought you said Geisler, maybe?
2: But no, I, I didn't say calling
4: back to see if you could
2: just... can yeah, let me, I Okay, let me give you the two I think I gave you, Brian. Uh, There's one by a a man who is a casual friend of mine. His name is David Hawking, H-O-C-K-I-N-G. His is in more of a story form than a verse-by-verse. But I think the, um, probably the most well-known commentary on Isaiah is a man named Harry Boltima, B u l T E M A. I also like one. There's a shorter one. You know, uh Isaiah is so large and Bultima is a huge undertaking. It's worth it, but it's a huge undertaking. Uh but there is a another one by a man named H. A. Ironside, I R O N S I D E, Harry A. Ironside. And his his um uh Commentaries are not so cumbersome that they they become onerous, but uh, have a lot of really good information in them. So um, I think you can do that. Um, Maybe the name that you're thinking about that starts with a G uh, is a a good friend of mine. His name is David Guzik, G-U-Z-I-K. And his commentaries are online and for free, and they're absolutely excellent. Um, The the website is EnduringWord.com. EnduringWord.com. And uh, you will really be blessed by his commentaries. I'm blessed by the fact... Not only are they good, but he's always had his stuff available for free, and you're more than welcome to uh, to dig in and take anything and everything out of it that you want. But, Brian, that would be a very worthwhile endeavor for you. David Guzik, G-U-Z-I-K. Thanks for the call. Let's go to a question that was from Carl. Can Christians also be demon-possessed? Real Christians, Carl, can never be demon-possessed. Now, we know the devils are lying to us and they're screaming and they're shouting. I always uh, look like a little red riding gun. I'm going to and I'm, and I'm gonna blow your house down. Um, but uh, they cannot own you. To be demon-possessed is to be literally owned, controlled by the devil. The Bible, First John, says it. He who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. And then say that he's greater than the other he who is in us. And one of the problems with um, out of balance, crazy charismatic churches is this idea that that demons possess Christians and we have to be delivered. If you see uh, ministries, uh, churches with deliverance ministries, um, that's just bad teaching. We don't have to be delivered once we have been delivered once for all. And so if Jesus has delivered you from this world, from Satan, you, you, you don't have to be delivered again and again and again. And all we have to do is really look at our Bible, see what it says, and believe it. So Christians cannot be demon-possessed. And any church that teaches that they can is a church that is really, really a bad church, false teaching church. So rest assured, Carl, uh, you might have some issues or somebody you're talking about might have issues, but it's not uh, because you're possessed by by the devil. You know, I think sometimes we um, make muddy the line between the devil tempting us, the devil messing with us. Um, I think sometimes when we don't stop sinning. We blame the devil for it. Um, Remember First John, he can't touch you without the express blessing of God in the process. Here is a question from Donald. Donald. Um, Pastor Ron, can you endorse Dr. Michael Brown's ministry? Um, he's always been an enigma to me, uh, Donald. Um, smart guy, and uh, no doubt a genuine believer. Um, he is... Um, an effective apologist. Um, he also has a national, um, or did, I don't know if he still does, but he had a national question and answer show. Um, and and I, I find him most of the time very practical. However... Here's my problem. He's been involved with some really, really crazy charismatic ministries. Uh, He was uh, one of the movers and shakers in the Toronto Blessing and in the laughing movements and, and, uh, you know, just nonsensical things. And I think sometimes uh, smart people just stop thinking, and he stopped thinking. Uh, But I think if you are discerning, Donald, Um, then I would have no problem recommending uh, his materials for you. But just um, sort of distance yourself from the crazy charismatic stuff um, because on the other stuff, I think he's pretty good. And again, no doubt a believer. So I hope that helps. Let's go to Mike calling from San Antonio Online 1. Mike, thanks for calling. You're on the air.
5: Hi, thank you. Um, uh-huh. Just wanted to say, I love your ministry, and thank you so much thank for you. always answering my questions. Um, I called, I think it was last week, uh, about my, my son with autism. And I really oh,
2: yes, it, I remember, the, uh,
5: like uh, Coronavirus. Um, she's doing much better, so thank you so Good, much thank for, you. for your prayers. And uh, thank you for uh, your advice on, on my son and the prayer. It's really helped me with uh, Understand better um, the, the heart of God, and I, I've been thinking more and more about what he said—that you know, God is speaking to him, you know, in His mm-hmm. own way. Um, mm-hmm. So I've got—I've got, uh, got a question and then also a comment. I'll—I'll uh, I'll, I'll say uh the the comics I think you like this. Um, somebody told me one time that uh, God made dogs to show us how we should be. God made cats <laughs> to show us how we really are.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense to me.
5: Uh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, uh, my question is uh, about generational curses. Um, I don't really believe in them, but mm-hmm. in Exodus, I think it was Exodus, he says uh, that God punishes the children for the sins of the fathers to the third and fourth generations and so on. Uh, and then also in I think it was Genesis. Yes, uh, I think it was Noah curses Canaan for the sin of Ham, um, and the way that the, somebody about that one time, it was my brother-in-law. And he said that you know when a father is basically a terrible father, then the children really are cursed by that. That, that Noah was saying. You know, Kanan is the one who's really going to be on the receiving end of all these terrible things because Ham is the way that he is. He's the kind of person that would go and make fun of his father and and all that. But I, I also, like, I get that, but I also kind of find it hard to understand uh, God himself saying, you know, I, I punish the children for the sins of the fathers to the third and fourth mm-hmm. generations. Um, mm-hmm. what, what is the correct or appropriate interpretation of, of that?
2: Thank you, Mike. I can help with that. Um, first and foremost, when Noah, Noah, Noah had no power to curse anybody. So Noah didn't curse him. That was a prophecy. So it was a prophecy of the descendants, and of course the canaanites um, um, they were cursed not not by God, they cursed themselves with their sin and their rebellion against God. So Noah wasn't cursing him. that's really important. So much bad theology and bad humanity has has um, resulted by a, through a misunderstanding of what was happening this was It was like when when Jacob blessed his sons before dying. He just told their futures. That's what he was doing. So that was prophetic in nature. Well, the same thing was true um, with Noah. Again, Noah had no power to curse anybody. Uh, He was simply prophesying, this is the future of the descendants of Ham. Now, regarding the Exodus passage, everybody always leaves out, there's no, let me say first clearly, there's no such thing as a generational curse. That's more bad Crazy charismatic teaching—it simply is not true. And to sell people an idea uh, that 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 they can be cursed for the sins of their fathers is to misunderstand the, not only the heart of God but the character and the nature of God. So there's no such thing as a generational curse. What he's saying in Gen or in Exodus, rather Exodus chapter 20, is that God will curse the generations of those. And we, we always leave this out, Mike, of those who hate him, to the third and fourth generation of those who hate God. But He will bless a thousand generations of those who love Him. And the idea there is relativity, and 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 the truth is for uh, ever. When when people hate God, they're they're living a cursed life, and. We are affected by the sins of our fathers. We, the, we, we do uh, carry on uh, really bad and ugly family traditions. But that's not God cursing. It's just saying, if you hate God, you're going to be cursed. Remember, we have been redeemed from the curse of the law, Galatians 3 says. So when, when we come to Jesus, all of that is gone in an instant, Mike. All of that is gone, and we need to understand that. Now, uh, God also says, through other prophets, that uh, his teeth are set on edge. In other words, he's grinding his teeth in anger when people say that sons are punished for the sins of the Father. No, each man will die for his own sin. Each man will be judged for his own sin. God tells them, basically, stop saying that. It's simply not true. And I think when we don't read carefully the Exodus account, we have something that, that bad Bible teachers can profit off of. You know, if I'm the way I am because it's something my dad did, well, you know, there's nothing I can do about it. I might as well go ahead and sin. That's our approach. Even if we try to resist it and we fall, well, you know, it's not my fault. My, my dad was like that or his dad was like that. That's why God said, stop saying that. His teeth are set on edge, and all we have to do is remember that we bear responsibility only for our own sins. But, uh, Mike, the important thing to remember is that the generations that are cursed are those who hate God, not those who love God. So no such thing at all as a generational curse. Mike, I appreciate more than you know the update on your son and how you're doing, and and we will keep you and your son in prayer. God bless you. Well, we're inside five minutes left for the week, so let me see. Uh, Here's a question I can do from Nelson. He said, Pastor Ron, is the death penalty loving? And I think he's saying, how can the death penalty be loving? Um, Nelson, the death penalty is loving for the victims, isn't it? for the families of the victims. You know, everything God says is cloaked in love. The fact that you can't understand how the death penalty is loving doesn't mean that it isn't. Now, here's what we've got to understand. God said if a man sheds the blood of another man, his blood then will be shed. God is the one who established that. Man didn't do it. So, the idea is when somebody takes a life, there's a consequence. Sin has consequences. And when somebody is put to death or sentenced to death, we hardly ever put people to death anymore. But when somebody sins to death, our, our thoughts shouldn't be, well, that's not loving. How could God do that? Our thoughts should be, our God is just. That's a just God who demands justice when we sin. So of course the death penalty is loving. Now we got problems with it, to be sure, Nelson. We've we've got um, uh, inequity in our in our justice system. And I am certain there are some people who are executed who weren't guilty. In fact, um, there's a movie out about that right now. Uh, the Barry Sheck and, and um, uh, can't, the the name escapes me now, but the Innocence Project is the name of the movie I think. Um, so, um, um, yeah, it needs to be fair, yes we need more just judges, we need a, uh, an equitable justice system, but the truth remains that when somebody takes a life, the just thing to do, justice has its foundation in love, the just thing to do is to sentence them to death. Remember, again, we didn't establish that. God himself did. Paul, by the way, in the New Testament affirms it. The government is given the sword for a reason, to execute justice. And that's speaking of the right of the government to take a human life. So, Nelson, yes, everything that God does is loving because he can't act in any other way. Not in any other way. Let me see if I have one more question. i got two minutes. Here is a question. Uh, yes, here's one again from Ken. Um, Bethel Church has schools to learn to do miracles and to be, and how to be a prophet. My wife wants us to go. Your thoughts, please. Stay as far away from Bethel Church and anything that Bethel Church touches as you possibly can, Ken. To let your wife go to a church that is so um, biblically off-base, And I'm not talking a little off-base. I'm not talking about questionably off-base. I'm talking about just out there in the woods. You're exposing her. You're supposed to protect her. You're supposed to be a steward over her. Her shepherd in the home, to expose her to that is, um, I think, an ungodly thing to do. So please, please, please protect her. Now, I know we like goosebumps, and I know that that we like the thought of doing miracles, but remember, it's God who does the miracles, not us. You can't teach that. God anoints. The Spirit gives gifts as He wills, not as we will. And there's no school to be a prophet because there are no more prophets. There's no school to teach how to do miracles because if God wants you to do a miracle, you'll know it and you'll do it. It's that simple. But the focus on the miracles, the focus on the spectacular offices is unhealthy and out of balance. Hope that helps. Hey, thanks for tuning in. Go to church. If your church is meeting this weekend, go to church. Don't go scared. Go with joy in your hearts. It is good to be in the house of the Lord. God bless you. I'll see you on Monday, Lord willing, and AM 630, The Word. Bye-bye.